Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Claybo, your host. And in today's episode, we're going to continue on with our conversation with Mark Miller about thinking outside the box. Please enjoy. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Are you familiar with the book, uh, Don't Make Me Think? Only by title, I've not read it. I know a lot of people talk to me about it, and I, I believe that it contains ideas similar to some of the things I've talked about in my design mm -hmm. course. Yeah, yeah, it's written by uh, a guy named uh, Stephen Krug. And uh, I, I bought that book like 20 years ago and just been through a few episodes, uh, not episodes, but editions since then. And so it was really nice that how it pointed out, you know, things should just be, you know, consistent, intuitive and, you know, made the way people think so that they don't have to think too much. Sure. Yeah. No, you, it's there's all of that is there. The, the other piece you can do, too, is you can put information really close to where the information is needed both in terms of time and space, <laughs> right? So, Sean, that goes to kind of what you were talking about before is when you're talking about, um, you know, if folks need a manual, you haven't done your job right, right? Well, the manual is far away removed in, from space and your app, right? If my eyes are on the app and now I have to move them over to the manual, flip through, right? And I, there's even, you know, a time disconnect there as well often. It's, it, it just doesn't make sense. A manual doesn't make sense. You know, when uh, folks my age, you know, around my age, you may, you know, remember, uh, you know, an acronym RTFM. And this is what developers would kind of, you know, exclaim when they were together, you know, read the freaking manual, basically talking about how all their tech support nightmares were coming because their customers weren't reading the manual, right? But it, you don't hear people say that really anymore. Instead, what people are saying is discoverability is really important, right? It's important to facilitate the discoverability of your incredible feature, right? And how to use it right there. And one of the ways you can do it is by following existing user models. So you're matching user expectations, right? If I've seen something before, then, you know, that looks similar, I'm expecting it to behave in a similar way, right? So I'm following that user model, then I don't have to document it like that. That's and then kind of some thing. manuals are actually harder to understand <laughs> than the actual problem itself. So just... Yeah, I remember I had a product that I created a long time ago, like in like late 80s, I think. And I wrote the manual for it as well. And in writing the manual, I'd be like, oh, so this feature is going to take me four pages to document or maybe an hour to fix so I don't need to write four pages. 
And so I'd go back and I'd fix the features so I could describe it in a few words. And that just kept happening again and again. And I would, you know, I started realizing, oh, yeah, this is a good exercise to do at least once in your lifetime as a developer is look at this. You're just looking at the software experience from another perspective, right? And getting some insight in that. So when it comes to, to thinking outside of the box, I know a lot of companies, especially companies that have been around for, for years, maybe they already have a, an installed user base and they have their app. Uh, a lot of companies aren't necessarily comfortable thinking outside of the box or, or pursuing the impossible. What would you say to people who, you know, who want that opportunity or want to do that kind of development, getting their company on board? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a kind of a component I haven't really described yet. And that is you have to, you need kind of a mathematically provable, you, you need some mathematic support, some number support. So you need support either, either in the form of number of users who want this new cool feature, right? And then some way to step over to the alternate timeline, right? Some idea on how we can make it economically feasible, right? So one of the ways you can do that is, you know, by the customer surveys, for example. That's one way to get the numbers, you know. And the example I kind of like to think of in this space is the hoverboard from Back to the Future. If you do customer survey on that, everybody wants that, right? And then you start doing, you know, the math on everything else. and You start realizing, well, wait, friction that's, you know, normally provided by wheels is actually crucial in turns, right? It's incredibly crucial. And if you take away friction on the hoverboard, you're going to need a ton of jet thrust to make that turn that's happening in the movies, right? So you've got some numerical evidence there. Everybody wants it, but you've got, we have yet to find the way to step across. The other way that you can get numerical proof is by simply just looking at like, you know, how are we currently working, right? How are our users currently working? Well, they're looking at the data. The data is we're showing it to them in tables. And if they want to do a lookup, they can, you know, maybe select an entry in it and then go hit a button off to the side and go drill in to that space or something like that, right? I've got table data, that sort of thing. And we might be thinking, well, our outside the box idea might be, oh, you know what? What if we did a heat map? What if it was all visual instead? What if we represented the data in a different way? Right? Maybe not instead of, but maybe in addition to as an alternate means. And we gave people a real easy to discover way to get in, like a big button with a picture of heat map or something like that on it, something like that, right up at the top. So table or heat map. And then when I'm in heat map mode, you know, maybe I've got other things that are happening. And then we start looking at the math behind that. And we say, well, wait, if people are in heat map, mo- map mode, they should be able to drill in much faster because we're going to give them a one-click you know, it's part of a spec. They're interested in a particular part of the heat map. They just click on it and we zoom in as an example, right? And so what we do is we say, okay, well, that compared to our current way, which is they got to reach over to the button on the side, right? And grab it or select some data and then click a button or something like that. This is going to take less time, right? And so we can get the mathematical support behind that. We can actually time out the components. We can do the, we can multiply it by the number of times that particular action is done times the number of customers we have and then assign some dollar amount to the time. And one way we can do that is if, if all of the the all of our customers who are working our company, we can just go find our average company salary or the average salary for a human being, if you want, and we throw a dollar amount at it or the average salary for the developers on the team. And then we can turn it into developer hours, right? Where we say, well, look, this this feature is costing us about 3 million developer dollars a year. Right. And so do you want to fix it? It's going to cost you a thousand developer hours to fix it. 
right? That kind of a thing. And so you can, what you can do is if you do the math, you can get some support and you basically, the goal is to turn it into money or time, I think. And you make the pitch along those ways, you know, along that, that vector. You say, you say, here's, we have an opportunity to save and it looks like it'll work. And it looks like we can do it at, you know, I don't have all the solutions. I, I don't know. I don't know the full path, but I think we can do it. And what's really cool is a lot of teams will let you do spikes, right? So, you know, you get your, your, your most creative thinking folks, your fastest, you know, spike producing devs, you get one or two of those, those kids or those folks out there, they're writing that code and you can get a spike and you can learn things from the spike, right? Our caps as a modifier started as a spike. I was like, can we do it? I know it's a system key. I think you're going to need a system hook. Spend one or two days to look at that, right? And I think a lot of, actually, a lot of, I think the the stuff that that I've done, virtually everything has started with a spike, I think, right? Let's just see, is something possible? Can we do it, right? What are the limits? And, And one of the things I also recommend during the spike is you stress test the spike so you can get a sense of what your performance challenges are likely to be, right? Yeah. I think that's super yeah, we're, important. We're doing something similar to that right now, or I have been. We have a large Angular code base, but they want the company I'm working for wants to get away from that in general. And they're like, Can you get this? Can you get our Angular components to work in Blazor? And I'm like, Yeah, I th- think it's possible. You just give me some time to figure it out. Right. And um, I think Daniel Roth did one, and there were some other resources where this person did it this way. And so, you know, I spent a sprint working on this proof of concept and came up with multiple ways of input and output blazer. And, and of course, there there are gaps and, you know, stuff to figure out. But I, I did a demo and everybody was like, whoa, this is awesome. So, so we can actually do this. And I'm like, yeah, we can do this, you know, as long as we can take some of this service stuff out of these components and do it in blazer, we can use Angular elements basically create a web component and be able to talk back and forth and we can port things over in pieces as needed so yeah i think a lot of it is like just like marcus is saying like just converting what you want into metrics that are important to the people who make the decisions because i guess like management a lot of times they don't really care about the features to be honest that they what they care about are people will find it useful that it saves them money and all that stuff and and then just yeah just converting what you want to do into something that that kind of makes sense to them and go oh, okay this will save this much money kind of thing so yeah i think i think that's really really the truth it's that in general when there's a block the block is because there there's a different constraint than the one maybe you're thinking about there's a different mm. criteria for success, mm. for a decision making and i think it's always good to kind of understand what that is and i find most of the blocks are about money or time that i've seen right. money or time are generally the blocks sometimes you get like with caps as a modifier there's a, a kind of an uncomfortable thing it's always been this other thing mark now what are you doing right yeah. So some of the stuff that y'all do in Code Rush, right, prior to Caps Lock, you've had some of the stuff for years is, right, being able to embed images in source code yeah. or paste vectors in. And I'm sure at the time that you approached that, people are like, why would you want to do that? And what's the purpose? And how is this going to work, right? How did you approach those features? Because I, I've seen you do them and, I, and I, I've seen the benefits, especially, right, if it's a code base, a demo code base or training where you want someone to be able to visually see what you're trying to get across. Right. Well, I think with that one, I 
I think it was simply I used brute force on with with embedded images with vector paste so vector paste is, is another one vector paste yeah. allows you to take a, a vector like in adobe illustrator or or uh, power microsoft powerpoint or something like that copy the vector and then paste it into xaml or paste it into html and you get xaml or html right so and, and i use those features all the time by the way i'm like i'll create my icons in in powerpoint and then paste mm-hmm. them into xaml and I'm done, right? I have a vector-based image that I just created using, you know, a Microsoft, you know, a Microsoft product, right? And it's actually one of my favorite demos of, you know, and I'm not even Microsoft. I'm not, I get no benefit from the demo, really. It's, but one of my favorite demos to do. I brute forced, I think, for the most part, the image embedding. I, I pushed that through saying, you know, just on like leadership skills and whatever chain of command, I said, here's what we're going to do. And I brute forced it, you know, I did the, until it was as good as or as close as we could get it to dropping an image in like an email inside of Outlook, for example, right? So, and, so there's another path. If, if you have the, the cojones or you're in a leader position or, or you have the power to do it, you can, you can push it through regardless of having right. the, the metrics up front to yeah. share the benefits. Yeah. 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 But by the way, I've been using, I, I'll tell you, for me, I, I use the embedded images. I don't use them all the time. I use them generally like when there's complexity where that can be resolved quickly with an image. That's what I'll do. I use them if there's a bug and I want to get a screenshot of the bug and I'll put it right in the code. And then after I fix the bug, I'll delete the screenshot out of the code. But the, the number one most valuable sustained use that I find personally for me with embedded images are in my test cases. I have test cases that work with data that's hard to visualize. For example, on the Twitch show, I've got a, a subversion of the show that called Kids Code that I code with my son, and we're building a, a crypto trading bot. And that bot has a test case generator that allows me to grab some, some crypto live crypto data select it and build a test case based on the data. And one of the things it does is it takes a screenshot of the chart as well as saving the data out and then builds a test case for me. And the test case has the image right there on it. And I find that test cases, and similarly on the show, on the show we created some cool technology that animates, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Caleb, but it animates the live OBS stream of me and also the code window, if I, I want to, along with uh, special effects that are layered behind me and in front of me. I've seen and, a couple of your kids' code streams. And, well, it's it's really, it's like any of your other streams. There, there's a lot going on there, a lot of interactivity, a, a lot of layers, I guess, so to speak. And from a person just watching it, it's entertaining and it's cool. But I also know that there's a ton of, time and tech and programming that went in to get that stuff to work the way you wanted it to. Yeah. This specific example I'm talking about where it animates my live video feed. So like a a drone will come up and my video feed will lift up with the drone. And so it'll look like I'm inside, I'm on top of the drone, right? And it moves me around, right? That sort of thing. Or it fires a laser at me and then all of a sudden I disappear because I have been exploded. And then I come flying in on the spaceship as it crashes. And so to do that, I created some software on the show that looks for tracking dots. And I have test cases for the tracking dots that ask the question, what's the scale of this tracking dot image? 
What's the scale? What's the rotation? What's the position? And that was something we worked on in the show. And one of the things I love about that is it's accurate to about, I think, a tenth of a pixel, I think. With regards to rotation, it's accurate to a, like a tenth of a degree. And uh, for scaling, it's got similar accuracy. So it's got it's really accurate. And all of those those scaling images, they're all manipulated inside of Adobe Premiere on with the layered effects. And then center generated as PNGs, we scan the PNGs, and the test cases have the pictures of right above them of what the that configuration is. So when I looked at the test case, I can see, oh, this one's easily rotated off to the side. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that we kind of explore on the show. I think the thing that's interesting about the show is it's it's you know, one of the things we talk about is brute force and ignorance, and that's kind of what the show is. We don't really know what we're doing, and but we're going at it with a lot of intensity and and we something doesn't work, we just quickly move around, and try something else. I do think that the brute force and ignorance is a little in jest, because you know what you're doing. You've been doing this for a very long time. But I also understand if if you guys haven't seen his, his, his Twitch channels, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, right? But when you see some of the stuff that you now have working and you're looking at it up front, you're like, how in the world are we going to pull that off? Um, yeah. But you've been doing this for, for years now, right? And you developed this whole engine for, for one of your other Twitch streams, which is a right. D&D module, right? Where you've got dice and you've got cards and you've got all kinds of effects. Yeah, and, it's crazy. You know, it's it, crazy. It, it, didn't, it didn't all happen in a month or in a year, right? No. It's it's iterative and you build upon it the same as with Code Rush, right? right? Yeah, it does. We have on the D&D stream, one of my favorite effects is when a player takes damage, their mini on the board splurts out volumetric blood. This is happening in Tailspire and we don't own the code for Tailspire. I've just got a plug-in in there, but I've figured out how to shoot volumetric blood out of a mini in Tailspire in the right direction that the mini's facing. And the blood is, you know, it lands and it stays for a little bit on the board. And at the same time, I've got blood shooting out live out of the player in the form of a layered visual effect on top of them, right? And so, and, and we've even got, you know, digital characters that try to block the blood from hitting them by lifting up their shield. So all of that is there. With regards to the layering and embedding in time, in terms of the special effects, one of the other things we just recently did is we took control over of some uh, Bluetooth LED lights, big ones that change the lighting on me to match whatever scene I'm in, right? And so when an explosion goes off, the light kind of shines a bright orange light on my face as the explosion goes off. So that's one of the things that we've been working on uh, this last week. So yeah, it's and it's this crazy kind of how do we make it feel even more believable, right? Is this idea, right? How do we take it to the next level? And it's it's one of my happiest places to be, right? How do we take this illusion of images in the source code and make it feel like they're absolutely, absolutely there, right? You can click on them, you can resize them, crop them. There, those images are there. There, that's everything is an illusion. The same thing with images and email. They're not really there, but they're presented as if they are, right? And you're you're not doing all this on the server farm. I mean, it's been a little while since I've been on your stream. No, it's all my job, but we're not. But but you were doing it. I mean, you got a a, a new laptop that was a hoss, but still, it's it's one machine that you've got doing all this stuff on, and it handles 
handles it well. Barely. It's barely <laughs> there. I've been I recently installed new software and it's taken it down a level and I'm feeling like my computer's an old man now. And I'm like, I'm looking at it like you better do better today. Like that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm not quite at a point where I'm ready to replace it yet, but I talk about it on the show sometimes. Yeah. The other thing is I wish I had this skill. This is a skill I don't have, Caleb, but I wish I had it. I wish I had the skill to actually offload to like a server farm, right? Get a bunch of, you know, Azure machines, spin them up, have them run in all my graphics layers, layer them all up. I wish I had that level of skill. I don't. I need like some sort of intro course in that. I need somebody to teach me how to do that stuff. That would be awesome to be able to, to because I can just like, I, I would love to be able to take what I want to do to another level, right? Of well, you know, you know why is a certified Azure architect. I heard that in the intro. Yeah. I heard that he overstudied for the for the exam. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe he can give you some pointers. I will take all the pointers. I will like totally take all the pointers. I to be honest, I kind of need one-on-one instruction. That's how I learn best. Generally because if I'm in like in any kind of other scenario, I I hog the room anyway and it's super rude, right? But if I can get one-on-one instruction where somebody can say, here, this is what you do. Do this, do this, do this, where I can ask questions quickly. I can learn really fast. But the problem is I all my friends would hate me if you know I, I asked them to help me on this. So why, why don't I you my do friends. one of your um one your Twitch episodes? No. Well, it's it is yeah no I think it's a, it, it's definitely an idea to consider. It would probably be a show called Watch Mark Try to Learn Try to Figure Stuff Out <laughs> is what it would be. And well, I don't know how entertaining. Like <laughs> yeah, yes, but I guess for me it's a good show if I can actually write some code and test it. And uh, I feel like I'm so uninformed in this particular space that it would be ridiculous and it would be a lot a lot of hand holding where the chat. Would you know, folks in the chat room, they would be telling me what to do. They would be saying, "Here's what you do, Mark," and it would be like more like a kind of a charity set set of <laughs> sessions where people are just saying, "Oh, Mark," something like that. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm open to the idea, but I think to do it, I would probably want to have an expert as a a guest host. That's how I'd want to do it. So at least they would get. It would be like we're going to show Mark how to do this, and they would get like you know some. Uh, some fame from that or some credibility or something like that, whatever you want to call it, they'd get some notoriety or whatever the, whatever the likes are. What are the kids like in these days? They're the likes. I think it's like that. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from top end devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. <laughs> you, just, you, just, yeah. you just got the uh, creative side of my brain working. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could hook up a video camera. I have programmable Christmas lights on my house. So I can set them up to you know different do different shows and things like that. And I was wondering if I can set up a video camera with some image recognition of when somebody's walking by 
and like have the Christmas lights do something based upon what the person is doing. And I was just going, well, that would be pretty cool. Don't know if I could do it, but uh, I yeah. probably could. I put enough thought into it. So you, you do, do like well, I was going to say this. This brings up a whole nother subject of knowing your limits or not knowing your limits. I guess right. If you if you don't know what your limits are and you keep pushing them, you're going to continue to get better at something. If you're comfortable with where you're at and you know your limits, you just keep going. But it's you can do amazing things even within your limits. Um, I don't know if you're still doing this, but I think for your database set of things, you've been using Excel instead of SQL because it was just easier and more straightforward. You didn't have to get into all the hassle of the databases and tables and all that stuff. Right. Google Sheets. Right? Google Sheets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Our Google our Google Sheet engine is that we developed on the show is so elegant, it blows my mind sometimes. I go in on the last show, I think, or yeah, I think it was the last show we did. I wanted to create, I created a table in Google Sheets that had uh, three columns. It had the scene name, it had the left light value and the right light value and color values. And then I created a class that had those three properties in it, scene name, left light value, right light value. And in about, and then I created another class to hold all, to, to basically go grab all those from the spreadsheet. The line to get it from the spreadsheet is one line of code. The, it all works because of two custom attributes that we give to the, the DTO class. And the custom attributes are what's the name of the spreadsheet and what's the tab name on the spreadsheet. And within, like, I want to say about like 23 minutes, we had it working where I switched to a scene and if it hadn't gotten the data yet, it would go to the Google spreadsheet, grab the data, and then turn the lights to match it. So like, uh, Caleb, if you show up our next show, I'll set up lights for you. I'll, we'll set up custom lights for the underwater scene, right? And we'll make some blue lights and stuff like that. And when we, so when you come in and your fanfare plays, it'll, the lights will turn blue on me, right? That's cool. And that all happened because we've got this super elegant kind of approach because I'm clueless on how to do database stuff. I've never d really done it in my life, right? I feel embarrassed to say that. I feel like maybe we shouldn't tell the world at this point. We, you know, it makes me think of Uncle Bob was doing a speech and he and his son developed an application. And initially they're like, you know, we, we don't need SQL. We don't need a database just yet. We're just going to use a hash sets or whatever, right? And they get a little further like, well, do you think we need to to add a database? And they're like, no, we're fine doing this. And they basically got to the end of the project doing this. And they're basically like, we don't need SQL, right? For what we're doing, once you install this application, everything's going to be local on your server and yeah. it's saved. We don't need a database, right? And so you can get to some really interesting places if you don't have set expectations or yeah. don't feel like I have to do this. Right. right. Yeah. What if we lose the database? Like I can imagine being in a in a brainstorming session and somebody throws out, what if we lose the database? Everybody's like, no, we can't lose the database, but maybe we can, right? Maybe there's a way. That's that's kind of an example. Insert another word instead of the word database there, you know, and it kind of that same conversation seems to apply. Yeah. So is there anything else? you'd like to dig into outside of the box? I know we've we covered a, a number of things 
that you've done in the past, but is there anything that we missed or anything uh, that you that you have in mind, like outside of the IntelliCode, IntelliSense AI stuff that you're like, I uh, wish we could pull this off? Well, I, I'll tell you, I my one of my biggest fans in this space, or I'm, I'm one of the biggest fans of uh, Elon Musk in this space. That guy's landing rockets on their tails, right? I, I just, I think that in terms of like, like among my peers, I think I, I feel like I really stand out in this space because I feel like again and again, I've created these one-of-a-kind kinds of solutions. But if, if you want to talk about somebody who really can do this and does it with an incredible amount of force, like a lot of momentum, Elon Musk is like the guy from my perspective. He is doing this at a, uh, an, just an incredible, mind-blowing mind-blowingly awesome rate i have uh i have so much respect and awe for how effectively he's able to get his teams to do the work that they do and it seems like almost every idea you know at least all of the, the these highlighted ideas that are coming out are essentially i i feel are guided by his leadership right by his understanding of the technology by by him and if not by him by him having the right people around him who are able to creatively get around these problems and i and i think that that's it's it's great inspiration to look at some of the problems that that those teams have solved as kind of a a thing to keep in mind when things are tough right when you're when you're trying to get there you're not quite there right sometimes maybe you just say okay we'll put it on hold and we'll think about it right we'll try to come up with a way to get it to the next to the next level but the the not giving up is important right it it takes persistence to switch to the alternate timeline it's an alternate timeline because it started that way because it was impossible to get there right we all agreed we can't do it so so that's about the only other thing i want to say is that it's just you know if you're trying to do this don't give up one of the things i learned on my show by the way Caleb is to quickly move and try something new, right? Because for me, I'm I'm also worried about, I want to make sure the show feels like it's moving. And so if I hit dead end, I can't, that can't, you know, that's a bad way to end the show. Fail fast. Right? And what'd you say? Fail fast, huh? I say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what I, if I fail, I recognize it and then try to change the direction in which I'm approaching approaching the problem. Right. Try to spin around to that 90 degree angle, that different way of hitting it, you know, and just try anything else. Just keep trying, keep trying. Um, that's one of the things I learned on the show. And I think that that has, uh, I think, made me a better, I don't know, developer. I'm not sure if that's really a developer role, but it is a it's made me definitely a better like sculptor of spikes, sculptor of one of a kind things. Right. Is this is this you 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 hit the dead end and you like, okay, that's a dead end quickly. Now, where am I going next? Right. And, and what you do, the faster you, the faster you repeatedly try something, the better you get at it. Yeah. I love that, that term sculptor of spikes. I'm going to have to use that. (laughs) I think that I feel like that's more of what I do. Right. I'm like, let's just throw it together. Let's throw it together. Let's make it better. Let's make it better. And that's the other thing that I do on the show is I I will spend a ridiculous amount of, I, I think what other people would consider a ridiculous amount of thought and effort to make something as close to perfect as I can, right? Because I, for me, it's about that pursuit of truth. And if I can get that so it's perfect, right? I feel like I've written 
like close to perfect, maybe three close to perfect features in my life. Features that I thought were so good, they were, you, you, no matter how much scrutiny you could throw at them, you would say, you know what, that was really nicely done, mm -hmm. right? And and I've got other features that are like, well, that's still not finished yet. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like it's not perfect yet, but under the economic situation, it is what it is. It's existing as it is, and it's the best we can do right now given the situation. So I feel like I've done three in my life, right? It's not like a lot, right? I suppose I'm not sure where I was headed with this. With, well, with I was the, gonna say three is a lot more than uh, than some people can claim. Yeah, but, I don't know. It's uh, it's. Yeah, it's it, there's a there's a I guess that's what I'm saying. I was talking about the, the this kind of intense, relentless focus on on a pursuit of perfection. How do we get this? Just everybody else would have been like, oh, "Holy crap, Mark! You're animating yourself, and you look like you're inside a, a Mario game, right? And how are you doing that?" And I'm like, "I need to get lights that flash on my face when the explosions go off, so it looks extra real." Right. That's where I'm. I'm still trying to figure out how to get smoke, real actual smoke machines and wind machines into the studio. So I have to put on a scarf that blows in the wind for when I'm driving the car or something like that. Right. I'm trying. I'm playing with these ideas, trying to make it all work. I'm thinking, well, I can't put the fan right up here between the camera and me. Where am I going to put the fan? Right. These are questions I'm asking. But it's this relentless pursuit of just small incremental changes that can make it a little bit better. Right. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do. Right. And everything. Right. We're trying to make it really good. And I think that pursuit is is part of the fun. Right. And it's what keeps you going. It is. Like, for me. OK, I figured out this piece. Yeah. Let's let's make that incremental improvement. Right. Yeah. And the incremental improvements you made over the last few years, if anybody goes and watches your stream are huge. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff when I have been able to pop in which, like I said, has been as often as I've liked recently, I see, I always see something new, right? You know, two years ago, it was your your dice. And then the well, last time I popped in, you were working on um, actual, the game cards, right? And how right. they would open and close, you know? And then, like you said, the, the animations for the miniatures and for the actual people on the screen. Um, yeah. So keep at it. I think it's awesome. Okay. Well, then I will. I was, I was, I was thinking maybe should today be the day I make some life choices. I'm not sure, but I think no. I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep at it. Good. Caleb, thanks. Good. Thanks for that. Yeah. Good. One of the right. things I really liked about the implementation of the dice that we did. So in Dungeons and Dragons, you can roll damage, and there are like 13 different kinds of damage. There's cold damage. There's fire damage. There's poison damage. There's bludgeoning. There's, there's. I want to say spikes, but it's not spikes. It's puncturing. It's uh, it's something else. Something else. It's another word they use. But there's all these different kinds of damage piercing. that you can have. Piercing. That's it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's piercing damage. And and what we did for the damage dice is we. It goes back to this idea of discoverability, right? If we're playing a game that's going to be broadcast and we're rolling damage dice, why not show people what the damage is? So the fire damage comes in and the dice are on fire as they're coming in. Then the cold damage has got little ice coming off. And, the, 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 and, and you can even have dice lay trails of ice as they roll out, right? And so we created these beautiful special effects that are uh, essentially all, and they're all linked in with the 3D dice rolling. So we've got, we've got essentially billboarding sandwiched effects in our own engine that we've created on the show where you'll roll a dice and it'll have flames coming behind it or and the flames will turn into like like charcoal or smoke or something along those lines 
or the poison dice will have poison clouds around them. The bludgeoning dice will have bludgeoning weapons and mm. the piercing dice will have will have piercing weapons that pierce out of the dice as they roll. I, I think I remember you. Uh, I was watching one of your streams and you were stress testing it and seeing how many dice you could actually get on the screen with the effects at once before it crashed your right. system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. It's good to know those right. answers if you're going to do a live show with it, right? Right. So, right. yeah, it's about it was about 50 without effects and uh, I think about 35 with effects, I think, when the machine started to be like, you know, well, just seeing some signs of stress on the CPU or the GPU. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it's very cool. I have uh, the effects around all this stuff definitely adds to the the environment in their activity. Um, and I have seen a couple of your Dragon Humper episodes. If I didn't have a six year old, I'd probably have seen more. But um, <laughs> it's very involved, right? And it's really is a, it's a lot of fun for everybody. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that show's actually on uh, hiatus till uh, next year, to 2022 okay. sometime. We'll start it back okay. up. But we've been, I've been pausing because I just moved to Valencia and we're kind of, you know, yeah. getting the lay of the land here, that sort of thing, adapting and changing the times, changing time zones, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. But I'm a big fan of where, where you use, where discoverability is integrated in and it both is something that's kind of amazing. Like, I, you know, you don't usually see dice on fire, but it's also informative, right? I'm like, it's helping you out, right? It's similar. There's a feature in CodeRush called Reorder Parameters where the parameters animate as they, they get reordered. And the UI is right in the code. It's all flat in the code. And, and so the code's actually animating as you're moving things around. And at first, you, you get this kind of wow effect. Like, I've never seen text animate and move inside of Visual Studio. But then you go beyond that and you realize, oh, it's actually explaining what's happening, right? The animation is showing me that they're moving. If I don't animate and I just instantly change position, it is confusing, right? And it's jarring and disruptive. But if I do the animation, all is clear. And people nod their heads as they're watching it, as they're interacting with it. They see it, they understand it. So I love it when we kind of are able to take something that's a little bit like, wow, but it's also bringing serious benefits, right? And so we get both of those. You get, it's kind of this double impact, visceral kind of feeling that you experience when you see it or interact with it. That's what I love. I love getting to that space. If I can find that, that's a beautiful place. To, you know, it's a beautiful thing to create. Absolutely. All right, cool. All right. Yep. Great discussion, everybody. I'm getting, kind of getting low on time for myself, so I'm going to move us on to picks if that's all right with everybody. Yeah. All right. Cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So I'm going to move us on to picks, if that's all right with everybody. Yeah. All right. Cool. So uh, I guess I will go first this week. And my pick is a new show I've been watching. And it's not on Netflix. It's actually on Amazon Prime. So you might be able to guess it. It's The Wheel oh. of Time. Oh, thank God. That was one of my picks. <laughs> well, not today, but it's in my list. of. But yeah, yes, it's good. Yeah. There you yeah. go. So I haven't read the books. So I'm not familiar with all that stuff. So some people that read the books... Are you know missing some things that they want to see in the show that's not there, but I don't have that problem because I've 
read the book. So uh, I've I've read like the first five, and yeah, you, you feel like maybe there's some gaps, but there's so much to the mythology and the background of the Will of Time. I get what they're doing, and I still think it's really really well done. Yeah, cool. So if you're not familiar at all, it's about you know there's all female organization that has powers and things like that, and then there's the Sedai. Yeah, there's one woman that's trying to to travel with these uh, five young villagers, one of them who is supposedly the dragon reborn. Uh, I don't know what all those things mean, mean yet because it's on Amazon, so you don't <laughs> get all the all the episodes all at once. You got to wait every Friday. Do, to, do you to want me to tell you who the dragon reborn is? Because <laughs> no. you learn really early in the books. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you figure it's it coming out. Up. Yep. All right. So, Caleb. Don't tell them, Caleb. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Yeah. So, my pick... I was actually, it was either going to be this one or Wheel of Time. And I'm glad I was leaning towards this. This one is on Netflix and it has to be, Mark's talked about perfection. This has to be one of the best animated series I have ever watched. It's called Arcane. It's on Netflix. It's based on the League of Legends game by, by Riot. But you don't have to know anything about the game or be a gamer to appreciate this show. So the first season is nine episodes. It, it is awesome. If you like good story, if you like animation, then you, you need to check it out. Okay. Why? What's your pick? Okay. So, yeah, this this Christmas, um, I'm actually going to go drive back home to my folks. It's like a 12, 13-hour drive from where I live. But it's just too risky to fly right now because my flights just keep getting canceled because of COVID. So we decided that we might actually start, uh, like start camping midway. So I've just been mm-hmm. like stocking up on camping equipment because i don't know anything about camping and stuff so and yeah i bought this like like night cat inflatable sleeping mat um that arrived the other day and i thought it was pretty cool it's just like this it's like it's, it's basically a sleeping mat that's folded up in a almost like the size of a drink bottle and then yeah it fold it folds out that you can you can you can kind of like you've got this little thing that you can pump air into it and stuff like that and yeah we'll, we'll be using that during our camping thing and i thought it was really i don't actually i don't i don't know i don't know how innovative it is because i don't know if you like camping equipment but i thought it was just awesome that basically it's like a little bed inside of a drink bottle so cool good luck with your camping yeah can i can I'm i not, do a, i'm not big on it can i do a pick <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely this, this one, one this is, more this, this is a non-traditional one i think because it's only for a trailer but it's the trailer for cowboy bebop on netflix I think it is the best trailer that's ever produced. And I think they made maybe two of them. It's the one where the uh, the bars that separate the videos move a bit. Once you see it, you'll uh, I think you'll love it. I think it is, it, like I say, it's the best trailer for any show I've ever seen made. And I love it. I just watched the first episode of it, and it wasn't bad. But it wasn't as good as the trailer. The trailer is, I watched multiple times. It was so good. And I made my family watch it multiple times, too, pointing out all the awesomeness of the trailer. If you look at the trailer, by the way, on it, you'll I think you'll realize how they're building the show. It kind of reveals some of the technology uh, and how they're building it. It's I like I say, was incredibly impressed with with almost all of it. That's very cool. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Mark, we've got links to your Twitch streams, everything like that. We're going to put in the show notes. Is is that the best way for people to get in touch with you if they have questions or sure? Yeah, they can do that. You can uh, send me an email if you want. I won't, I'll say it out loud now, but I won't put it out there because, you know, everybody likes to give me my email. But you can send me an email if you want to, markm at devexpress.com. 
But yeah, if you want to just talk to me live, go out to twitch.tv slash code rushed. That's code rush with an ED on the end. And uh, I'm out there at least three days a week and writing code and uh, just trying to figure out problems. That's just what I'm doing. And I'm loving it. So, and, uh, you know, love to have people there to help us out. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I should do instead. <laughs> help me be a better developer, kids. Yep. That's what it's all about, right? We're that's what it's all about. That's all I'm trying to do, man. Just trying to write some good code here. <laughs> all right. And if our cool. listeners want to get in touch with us on the show, we'd love to hear from you. We want your feedback. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we can do better. So uh, you can get in touch with me. I am on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, da, da, da. Caleb Wells. And, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the other guy. Uh, Caleb Wells Codes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Oh. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Great show. Glad to have you <laughs> back on Adventures in .NET. Yeah. Let's not let's not wait so long next time. Okay, right. fine. Right? Okay. You, are, you are. We are your friend. Well, if you're, I think you guys are all my friends. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> like together, you each like me about a third, and so together, it's one friend. It's awesome. There you go. There you go. I can't wait to tell people I've got a friend now. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. All right, and we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.